0: We're in chapter 5, last chapter of, of, of this letter, and so we'll finish up next week. But this whole letter of 1 Peter, as we've seen over and over again, is this stirring encouragement that hope is alive, even when hardships abound. And, and so how, how we all need this constant encouragement, because we always are walking through difficulties of, of varying kinds and degrees, and uh, many are represented right here in this room this morning. So Peter's writing to this scattered, tiny minority of Christians in these local congregations. And they're surrounded by this culture that's vehemently opposed to the gospel and its implications and, and ethics and all of life. And so he's writing to these these Christians, these sojourners, and, and, he's, and he's writing to, again, to encourage these, these, these congregations of Christians. And as he does so, and, and as he begins to close out this letter, he singles out the elders or the pastors from the rest of the flock for this direct encouragement and exhortation. And that's most of what we see in this passage, the first four verses or words to the elders. There's... There's one other major example in the New Testament of this kind of direct exhortation to elders. There's other instructions about elders and qualifications. But in, in Acts chapter 20, we have this clear uh, exhortation that in many ways parallels what Peter says here in 1 Peter 5. And, and it's Paul's kind of parting words with the, uh, with the Ephesian elders and so the that 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 farewell address I know that you uh, sometimes it's helpful, and I did that this week, just kind of putting this letter and what Peter's saying to these elders in these churches alongside kind of what's going on in in the world at that time and in the church at that time and so this Peter said those uh, those farewell farewell words to the Ephesian elders about seven years before Peter wrote this letter and so but it's very similar in content and in tone, and so Both of these exhortations in Acts 20 and in 1 Peter 5, they're rooted in the context of suffering, of difficulty. And so Paul's looking eyeball to eyeball with these Ephesian elders that he's labored alongside of for for two years now and, and he's leaving them and he's not sure if he's going to see them again in this world and he doesn't know what kind of suffering he's going to face when he gets to Jerusalem. And so but but it's clear that the the, the fires of persecution are just intensifying and it's it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter for the church. And and so he he, he tells these pastors in this very warm address as they as they they weep and pray together on this on this shore uh, among the many things he tells them, again, in the context of this suffering, he says to these pastors, care for the church of God. Care for the church of God. And, and the fires of persecution, okay, that was seven years prior to Peter's writing of this letter. And so, the, the, the fires of persecution, they've, they've only grown hotter by the time that Peter writes this letter. And so it's probably right after this that Rome is set ablaze. And, and if you remember from history, Nero blamed the, the big fire in Rome on Christians. And so that kind of set out, that, that, that started this period of intense, prolonged violent persecution of Roman Christians and it led ultimately to Peter's martyrdom and to the martyrdom of thousands of other Christians and so that's we're we're just before that event but again the heat is being turned up quickly and so there's this deep sense of urgency and concern as Peter writes these words uh, in this letter. And so you see it right there in verse 1, that little particle in the ESV, it's so, or in your translation maybe therefore. And so that, that little particle, it's linking what he's about to say, the exhortations he's about to give, to what he said prior. And so we saw this last week in the end of chapter 4, that, that he's, he's, he's uh, related there the inevitability of fiery trials. Don't be surprised. When trials come upon you, and and so the, the, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be persecution, and it's coming against the church, and and it's going to be increasing for Christians in these churches, and so the help, the the comfort, the strength, the guidance that 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 these congregations need will fall largely upon the church leaders. So I think that's the connection here as we get into verse 1 of chapter 5. The spiritual well-being of these local churches when, when faced with this hostility that's coming against them and is going to only be increasing, it's going to depend in large part upon those pastors and elders in the churches. And so they must, they must, Peter's going to say, you must shepherd God's flock. Just like Peter told, or Paul told the Ephesian elders, care for the flock of God. And suffering is intensifying. And Peter says, shepherd shepherd God's flock. And then he's going to also say, don't just do it, but you've got to do it in the right way. And so that's, that's kind of the, the setting of what we're seeing here in, in 1 Peter chapter 5. And so in times of trouble, God has given us these, these clear instructions and directives for his church and for the shepherds of the church. And so there, there are three commands in this section in verses 1 to 5, there's one command to the elders, there's one command to the flock, and there's one command to everybody. And so you see the first command in, we see it in verses 1 to 4, but to the elders, the command is this, shepherd the flock of God. To the flock, we see it in verse 4, or verse 5, excuse me, be subject to the elders. And then to everyone, at the end of verse 5, clothe yourselves with humility. And so we're going to walk through each of those. The the largest section is dealing with the elders, and so that will be where we spend the bulk of our time. So first, elders, shepherd God's flock. That's that's the command in verses 1 to 4. And so a couple uh preliminary kind of introductory comments and observations just about church pastors slash elders. And so... First one is this, is there are different but interchangeable names given to church leaders. So it's elders, it's pastor slash shepherd, depending on the translation, it's overseers. Those are the three names that are given to the one role. So one role, three different uh, kind of titles that are, are given, and those different titles represent different aspects of that one role, but I just want to make sure that 's clear in your mind and some of you may come from church backgrounds where there 's this kind of hierarchy and and those are seen as three different roles, but that doesn 't seem to at all be what the new testament um, Depicts. And so you, but you have these different aspects. So, elder, when he, when he, when we're referred to as elders, it's focusing on kind of the character qualities of the men, that they're they're mature men of God. And so you see those qualifications for elders. And other, another word that's used often is overseers. And often these are used in the same verse, in the same context, and interchangeably again. But overseers, they just meaning they're, the, the part of this role is watching over the flock, it's overseeing. The the kind of the leadership and uh, of of the church and 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 the progress and the movement of the church. Another uh, description is that of pastors, shepherds, and so it's looking at the function of the church through the metaphor of 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 the flock of God, and so focuses again on that that task of providing care and nourishment and protection and leadership for God's people. And so, but I, I just say all that. Because we, because of our own context and kind of church culture, it's easy to think that pastor and elder are two separate roles. And we sometimes use, we sometimes think of pastors as the people that are paid, and the elders are, and so they're kind of a subset of the elders. But that's not at all biblical, and it shouldn't be the way we think about uh, pastoring in our own church context. And so we have eight pastors here, eight elders, eight overseers, whichever word you want to use. And so to say Pastor Hutzel is just as legitimate as saying Pastor Dial or, or Pastor Colbertson or anything else. So I'll say more about that in a moment. Second preliminary kind of comment is that every time church leaders are mentioned in the New Testament, they're always referred to in the plural. So, you, so always in the plural where there, there 's always a we say plurality of elders or pastors or overseers over any church in any given location in the New testament when that 's described, and so there isn 't a pastor of the church at Ephesus in the New Testament there are the elders or the pastors of the church at Ephesus plural third and final. We'll comment here just by way of introduction. All of these elders, pastors, overseers, they're equal in qualification. Um, it's the same qualifications for all equal in position, authority, responsibility, and accountability. And so we alluded to this earlier, but so 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 they're they're equal. There's no distinction between them. Now the question then becomes why are some paid and some are not? Um and, and 1 Timothy five seventeen to eighteen. There's not a lot of of instruction in the New Testament about this. I, I want to be candid about that. But there are there are a few kind of references that I think give us some direction. First Peter five seventeen to eighteen is one of those. Where he talks about uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, and saying those 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 pastors who labor at preaching and teaching should be considered worthy of quote double honor. Now I know that's not an expression we use. Uh, we don't talk about double honor, but in the context, it seems to be of, of some kind of wage. And so they're supported by the church financially. And, 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 and so all elders, this is part of the qualification to be an elder, you must be able to teach God's word, but but not all elders will devote their time and energy full time to the task of of teaching and preaching. Only some will do that. And those who do that should be financially supported by the church as the church is able and by God's grace, Baraka has been able to do that for many, many years. And so that's, that's, that's a good, that's a good pattern. And so, but, but I, what I want you to see though is that non paid pastors, non staff pastors are not lesser pastors. Or they're, they're not subordinate to the paid pastors. I know some of you are like, yeah, we get that. But I, I know, I, my own background, this was fuzzy to me. And so the difference among The pastors in this local church it's functional it's not formal Um, and so shepherding still gives definition and shape to the life of every elder here whether they're paid or, or supported by the church or not being a pastor is their primary calling and and so but but they but they often most of our Pastors they work another job to support their family and provide income and we talk about tent making pastors we, we use that because Paul was a tent maker and he provided for his own financial needs through through that kind of work and but we have you know we can have roofing pastors and and elementary school teaching pastors and engineering pastors and i mean so that, but that 's all we were saying with that is that the, the, that most pastors will do other things to provide income but they're still their primary calling is, is to shepherd God's flock and that's got to flavor every part of their life um, now you can imagine that obviously presents really unique challenges to those men that are pastoring the church but also working full-time jobs elsewhere that and this is why you should pray for pray for these men the Lord gives grace but it's an enormous load and, and so please, please do note and pray often for them. Alexander Strzok just said about um, pastors, most pastors who have to work other jobs. He says, tent makers must live a pruned life and literally find leisure and rest in the rhythm of serving Christ. They must be willing to forego a measure of career achievement and private leisure for the privilege of gaining the prize. And so... that's a good reminder for us. All right, so with that said, let's get right into the text here, verses 1 to 4. And so Peter, under the inspiration, he's going to show us, one, what the shepherd's calling is in in verses 1 to 2. And then we're going to see the shepherd's heart, and then thirdly, the shepherd's reward. So the shepherd's calling, his heart, and his reward. So first, shepherd's calling here. Look at verse 1 again with me. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, and here's the calling: shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And so, again, I, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder. And and when he says I exhort, it's not like I'm he's he's not got, he's angry and that kind of thing. The idea is he appeals to them. It's like he's got his arms around the shoulders of his dear friends and his fellow pastors, and he's he's speaking to them warmly, and, and he's speaking with a with a voice of experience, and he, he knows what they're going through, and he's and he's got a heart that's full of hope for for them and for uh, the the church, and so he says, "I exhort the elders as as a fellow elder." He's identifying himself with these pastors and these. In these congregations. He's one of them. He's not over them. Now he could have legitimately used the title for himself of apostle or even super apostle, something like that. And so that that is, that's not what he does here. He, he's emphasizing that he knows what it's like to be a pastor like them. And he, he was. He was a local church pastor for, for decades in, in the church of Jerusalem. And and so he he's saying as a fellow as a fellow pastor he knows the joys he knows the sorrows he knows the the discouragements he knows the temptations he knows he knows the hardships that come with shepherding churches and so he says uh, uh, just this warm I, I I appeal to you as a fellow pastor what a motivation to these. These pastors and these churches that were really experiencing great hostility. What a motivation and encouragement to us who shepherd even right here. And then he goes on. So not, I just not, he doesn't just exhort them as a fellow shepherd, but he says, I exhort the elders as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He was a witness. And again, you think of the context of this fiery ordeal. He's saying, I was, I was, I had a front row seat to see the sufferings of Jesus Christ. I was with Him for three years during His ministry, and, and so I saw the condescension of the Son of God. I, I witnessed the difficulties that He went through. I, I heard the mockery. I, I saw firsthand the, the opposition that was against Him. I, he, he was with Jesus in the garden when Jesus' soul was in such agony that He's sweating drops of blood. He was he was there when Jesus was betrayed and arrested and arrested and, and led away. He was he was there in the courtyard when Jesus was there at that midnight trial before the Sanhedrin and, and he was watching that unfold. He he may have snuck in and saw Jesus on the cross, we're not really told, but he certainly saw the wounds in Jesus' hands inside after uh, Jesus rose again and 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 so saw the scars and the marks of the sufferings of Christ. And so Peter says, I've, I've seen the sufferings of Christ. But, but being a witness of the sufferings is, is more than just seeing them. He, he testified to them. I mean you look in Acts, and what is Peter's preaching all about? It's about Christ crucified and risen. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm a witness to these things. And so it's consumed as preaching, but even more than that, in the context of this letter, Peter shared in the sufferings of Christ. He walked in the steps of Jesus and has suffered himself. And so this is, this is again, uh, Peter's way of, of identifying with him. I, I am a witness to the sufferings. I'm not sitting up in some ivory tower, you know, pinning this kind of theoretical letter. No, I've been there. I walked it, I've seen it, I've testified to it, and I've suffered for it. And then he goes on though, but that's not all. And this is where, we, so often in this letter, it's suffering, glory. Suffer now, glory later. And he goes, I exhort the elders not just as a fellow elder, not just as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, but as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. There's glory that awaits us, and and Peter he he had he was able to catch a glimpse of this glory when Jesus was transfigured before his eyes and the eyes of two other disciples. But he is he he is present tense a partaker of glory that is to be future revealed. See the the grammar there, and so this this glory is not is not just some hope of kind of wishful thinking. No, this is. This is a guarantee. He is, he is currently a partaker of this glory that's to be revealed. And so Peter lived with this hope, this possession of hope, eschatological hope, that he's calling the church to, and these believers to. He, he lived with this, and he encourages these fellow pastors with this hope. Let me just, all right, just back up. That's simply the the setup for the now the the job description of of pastors. But let me just say to our pastors and elders right here, the the, one of the things I think this shows to us as Peter is, is is appealing to them as a fellow pastor is that the cross has got to be at the center of pastoral ministry. It crosses. We we live beneath the cross of Jesus Christ. We stay near it always, and the only good we do as pastors is bringing other people near to the cross. And so that, that's that's our primary calling. It's it's only out of the overflow of our own experience with the crucified, risen, and returning Christ that we can really minister to God's flock in the way that He intends. And so, and, and, and to this local church, so pray, church, pray that pastors and elders in this church will, will be men who walk closely with Jesus Christ. And that we will, we will stay, stay there and near the cross and that will be the focus of everything. And so, so that's, that's just the setup. And now he gets to the real the exhortation, the appeal, the, the calling of the shepherd. And you see it there. I, I exhort the elders, shepherd the flock of God as among you, exercising oversight. That's the position description of pastors. He's really, as you know, we were in the Gospel of John, I don't know how long ago now, but we finished it up over the last year or so, and, and Peter, Peter's really just passing along that commission that Jesus gave him about 35 years before this letter is written and it's that it's that it, it unforgettable scene on the shore of the Sea of Galilee before Jesus ascended john chapter twenty one and and so Jesus is there and he and he says to peter john twenty one verse fifteen Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter answered, "Oh yes, Lord, you know that I love you, and Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep, and so three times that dialogue kind of question answer happens. Three times Jesus tells Peter, "Shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my lambs." This is this is this was Peter's commission, and so Peter's simply relaying that. and And this image of shepherding is is not what didn't begin in John 21. This is this is something that's familiar in the Old Testament. We've, Psalm 23 referenced that in praying earlier. It, it, we know that uh, Ezekiel 34, Jeremiah 23, Zechariah 11. Psalm 100 verse 3 simply says, we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. But you see this throughout Scripture. God is the shepherd, His people are His flock. So that's, that's a clear teaching in Scripture. And so God is the shepherd of His people, but He's, he's appointed human shepherds or under-shepherds to, to tend to His flock. But don't forget it, it's His flock. The, the, the church is God's. It's not my flock, it's not the elders' flock, Baraka Bible Church. It, this is God's flock. There is one chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. We'll see that in verse, verse 4. So if, if you want a true title, Jesus is the only true, quote, senior pastor of Baraka Bible Church. I know we have that title that's become used in, in our culture, but but He is the pastor. And so... All of us who serve as, as shepherds in the church, it's not to diminish that because he's going to say that it's a, it's a it's a real thing, but it's, it's we serve under the authority of Christ and it's His flock. And the word he uses here for flock in verse 2, it doesn't show up in English real well, but it's a diminutive form of this word for flock. And so it could be translated something like little flock. Little flock. It's The idea is that the church is God's precious little flock. And picture of the Lord as a shepherd. And the church is His flock that He cares deeply for. The flock we are called the shepherd pastors in this church is the flock. It's not just any old group of people that just happen to be gathered uh, together and happen to live in proximity. No, this is the beloved flock of God that He is, we're going to see, allotted to our charge. And, and so we, we, we need to, to understand that. Now, so so this imagery of shepherding. I don't. Anybody a shepherd here? We got anybody? You kind of walking? You got your sheep out in the parking lot or something like that? You're not a good shepherd if they're out in the parking lot, probably. But, um, but no, we 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 are really unfamiliar with shepherding. I know some of you, and I, I mean, I know people that have had raised sheep, and I, I mean, people in high school, you know, showed sheep and FFA and that kind of thing, but. I don't know, I've never known anybody who's a shepherd in the sense that, that it would, would be in the minds of Peter's readers, or as Peter as he's even writing this, and probably none of us really do, because it's so foreign to, to our context. It's not just a farmer who has sheep or something like that. Now, Peter's talking about people who live among sheep, day and night, day after day, Leading them, leading the flock to green pastures where they can, they can graze and be satisfied and be filled, leading them to clean water to drink, uh, watching over them through the night, guarding them against predators and dangers, pursuing straying sheep, caring for sheep with injuries, nursing them back to health, and watching out for those sheep that have special needs. I mean, this is, this is the picture of shepherding. And again, we have hardly no category for that. But this is the imagery Peter has in mind when he says, "Shepherd the flock of God that is among you." And, and, and don't miss that little qualifier: that is among you. The pastors and elders, we can't we can't shepherd from a distance. We 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 must be among the flock. We we're not. Driving cattle, where you don't just kind of, you know, ride behind and, you know, from up on high or something like that. No. We're with the flock. We are, we are sheep. That's the, kind of the paradox of this is not, it's sheep who are under shepherds of Christ. And so we're, we're, we're among the sheep. We're leading by example, we're going to see in verse three. So the kind of shepherds Christ wants for his church, for this local church, we talk about this sometimes, are shepherds who smell like sheep. We're, we're, we are among the flock, because Christ is our chief shepherd. Again, we are sheep. because let me just a little side note here. I know that this, this image of the church as a flock, it, it, it cannot be and should not be isolated from other biblical images of the church. In other places in Scripture, the church is a, is a pillar and buttress or, 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 or fortress of the truth. It's a, it's the family of God, it's 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 uh, the temple of God, it's a holy priesthood, a holy nation, the body of Christ. So you have all these, this these images of the church, and so we can't pick our favorite and then just kind of hold on to that one and neglect the others. No, they have to be seen together, because what can happen, sadly, and I've I've seen this, and some of you have experienced this, perhaps, is some. Pastors, they isolate this one image from the others and, and they misuse the image to abuse believers. And so you have people who, they kind of, pastors who kind of view the flock as, as sort of, you know, the dumb sheep out there and the hoi polloi and just the, the commoners. And, and so these, these sheep are, are utterly helpless without their superior, you know, imperial, uh, shepherding. So come to me, look to me, and I'll take care of you. That is not at all what shepherding in the church involves, brothers and sisters. That's abusive. That's a total misuse and distortion of the biblical picture of the church. That's not what Peter means here. Peter's simply using this image to show the nature and the character of the work that frail human sheep slash shepherds uh, do in the church. That's what he's what he's saying here, and so Peter's. So just think about again. with that side note, we're back on the main road. Think about what this imagery of shepherding and this call to shepherd the flock of God. What it what it looks like in a local church for the elders of Baraka Bible Church. Even it means certainly at a minimum knowing the sheep, and I mean knowing them by name, knowing the flock. I don't know maybe this is why we have a plurality of elders cuz there's multiple you know large congregation and so but we have to know people it means taking the flock to the rich pastures of God's word to feed and to and 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 so that they can be nourished and so we do that in a variety of ways it means binding up wounded sheep it means going after strays and bringing them back into the fold it means being alert to dangers that are out there theological dangers and and otherwise guarding the flock from enemies who would prey on them it involves great personal sacrifice and 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 effort and and certainly we we're simply following the supreme example of our Lord Jesus Christ who laid down his life for the sheep um, and so so this is this is what it means to this is the the flavor of this command to shepherd the flock of God that elders are given, this is our job description and it takes takes it takes all kinds of forms and comes in all kinds of different shapes and sizes in a local church. It happens in a large Sunday gatherings in a variety of ways and in small groups and in one on one conversations it, it 's teaching and preaching and counseling and And reading and writing it's all those different ways it's it's reading God's word publicly as van did earlier it's it's singing God's praises in the gathering it's it's testifying to the Lord's grace in all kinds of settings it's praying for God's help with with the flock it's it it, it is uh, it's you know phone calls and text messages and emails and visits and meals and and, and handwritten notes it's those kinds of things it's rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep it's 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 offering encouragements it's answering questions and on and on and on this is this is a stuff of of shepherding and so he says this is this is what we're called to pastors it's to shepherd the flock of God, and then he modifies it with this participle it just it reinforces it really exercising oversight he's not giving us something totally different. He's just strengthening that call to shepherd the flock. The picture is shepherds up on a hill watching over the flock from that vantage point. And from this vantage point, they can see the flock as a whole. That's oversight. And they can see beyond the flock where the green pastures are and where the spring is up there. And they, can, they can be alert to dangers that are lurking on the perimeter and, and, and what they need to be mindful of. And, and that's the work of elders, providing oversight for for God's flock, oversight doesn't mean being overlords. Um, it's not that the elders have ultimate oversight of the church. Uh, we, we, we can get you know we can't get puff, puffed up heads like that. No, we do not take the place of the Holy Spirit or the chief shepherd in the church. The Holy Spirit is overseeing and protecting the flock in ways we can't even comprehend. And and the, the, the Christ is the leader and he's feeding and building and protecting and guiding uh his flock, but Christ's under shepherds, pastors in a local church, they we are to exercise watchful care of God's flock. That's the idea here. This is the work of pastors. Even here in this local church context, at Baraka, this is what we're called to, brothers. And and the work is never done. There's always more shepherding work to be done. There's always another visit to make, always another phone call to make. There's always another meeting to arrange, always another family to invite over. There's always another lesson to prepare. And so that's the reality, that's what comes with shepherding. Just like a physical shepherd, it's day and night, and so it is with shepherding God's people. And this is why we must be consciously and utterly dependent upon the Lord for help as we do this, depending upon, dependent upon His Holy Spirit. And this is why, church, you please pray for pastors here. So that's the job description. That's the, that's the pastor's, the shepherd's calling, but that's the, he doesn't stop there. Just, just do this. Shepherd the flock, exercise oversight. No, he, he is just as concerned with how they do it as he is with what they do. And so that's the next thing. Not just the shepherd's calling, but we see the shepherd's heart. Verses, partway through verse 2, shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So God cares deeply about the, the motives and the attitudes and the methods of those who lead His people. He, so Peter lays out these attitudes and motives that should and should not characterize pastors in, of, of his church. And so these are, there are these three contrasts here in verses 2 to 3, and, and, and they show the wrong ways and the right ways to lead God's people. And so the, the first contrast deals with the, the, the shepherd's attitude towards the work of shepherding. So his attitude towards the work. He says, Not under compulsion... But willingly, as God would have you. Now there are a lot of things we all do in life that we do because it's an obligation. Uh, Taking out the trash, washing dishes, doing taxes, that kind of thing. We just have to do them. Listen, being a pastor should not be something you do because it's an obligation shouldn't do it under compulsion. Being a pastor or elder under compulsion is a recipe for disaster in a church. And so God does not want reluctant, unwilling people to care for His sheep. You, you, we all know how awful it is to be served by somebody who really doesn't enjoy what they're doing and doesn't want to be there. You've had it maybe at a restaurant with a waitress, or you know, a nurse at a hospital, or something like that, or or a mechanic, or whatever context. That's awful. We certainly don't want that from our pastors, though. Want them to be unwilling and undesirous of of doing that work. Elders shouldn't serve because they feel pressure from their family or friends or the congregation. Shouldn't serve because it seems to them like well there's no one else to do the work. It shouldn't serve because they feel trapped to continue in that role. That's all. That's all serving under compulsion. Uh, one commentator said, "Elders are not to serve like drafted soldiers, but like volunteers." And that's the idea not not under compulsion, but willingly. And, 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 and this willing spirit is as as he says, as God would have you serve literally according to God, so glad voluntary pastoral ministry that's god 's way that's the way God cares for his sheep that's the way he wants us to care for his flock it's willingly and gladly so that's the first we we see his attitude towards work and then he deals with his attitude toward money, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And so pastors, they're not to have the mindset of a hireling, or, and they're not to be treated as such by the congregation. And so they're, they're not to do the work of pastoring for the sake of, of personal gain uh, or for what they can get out of it, but with an eagerness to do good for God's flock and for His cause. And So, so, so not, not for selfish gain, but, but eagerly. Um, this is a stronger word than we, the previous comparison where he says willingly. This, is, this, is a, this implies enthusiasm or passion. He, he, he's, there's a strong desire, motivation when he says, when he talks about being eager. So they're not, they, they are concerned about personal sacrifices that they may have to make. They're not concerned about their own financial gain. What they're driven by is caring for the sheep. They, the, 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 the shepherds God wants... They love to shepherd God's people. That's what he's saying when he says eagerly. Now obviously there's direct application to those of us who are financially supported by the church that we, that we pastor. And so we, we who are staff shepherds, elders, we should never view uh, pastoring merely as a kind of a means of making a living. Because you know, some make a living doing that, we just make a living. That's not the category that we should think of we should never as we should we or we should always resist the temptation that paul talks about of of, of using godliness as a means of gain um, and so i uh, there, there should never be a sense of entitlement for pastors when it comes to things i i, I don't think this is as prevalent as it Used to be, I, I remember when I was growing up, the pastors and like the pastor in town, you know, he always wore suit and tie, and, and everybody everybody knew who he was at least in the small town. I uh, they knew the pastors and they got discounts and you know everywhere they went and you know the pastor discount. And I haven't had a pastor discount, I don't think, in my life. So either I, either I don't fit the fit the mold or or they don't exist anymore. I'm not sure, but I, I'm just that should that should not be what, what you know a, a pursuit. Expect you to pay for my meal if we go out to eat or something like that because I'm just a poor pastor. No, we're not. We're not in it for gain, for personal gain. We, 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 we are. We are. We are we're to do it eagerly. We're eagerly. The the third contrast here has to do with the the shepherd's attitude toward people. So there's we got to watch his, our attitude towards the work, not under compulsion but willingly. We got to watch our attitude toward towards money, so we're not greedy, but we, <coughs> but we do it eagerly. And then third, our attitude towards people. He says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so this, I think this last wrong motive is far more subtle and far more widespread, a uh, uh, far more widespread temptation for, for pastors. Um, th- this lust for power, control, it can be a real snare for, for elders, pastors, um, and it's got to be avoided. Uh, this is pride, um, and he's going to deal with humility for everybody, but this is how it often shows up for, for, for those in leadership in the church. One commentator said, "Pride ever lurks at excuse me, pride ever lurks just at the heels of power." Even a little authority is prone to turn the seemly walk into a most offensive strut, and so it can be even for pastors. He says, "Not not domineering, not heavy-handed in a heavy-handed way, or some of your translations may say lording it over the flock." There's no place for authoritar- authoritarian, domineering, you know, autocratic leaders in a church family this is where the imagery the whole imagery of the church has got to we're a family and in the family and the family of god there's mutual love and respect and 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 humility and that's we see this i have all of these references throughout the letter of first peter where this is just seen throughout this letter and so we can't separate this and you know this work from from everything else God says about the church. So being a being a pastor or an elder isn't about exerting authority over other people. It's not about ordering people around. No, it's about, Peter says, it's about being an example to the flock. It's being an example. It's not leading by lording, it's leading by modeling. And this fits well with that image of a shepherd. Again, ancient shepherds, they weren't driving the sheep from behind. They were, they walked in front of the sheep, calling the sheep to follow them and using their voice. And they're there with the sheep, leading them. And so you think about, you think about all the ways in this letter that living hope is supposed to be manifested in our lives. And we've seen so many already and we're going to see more even next week. And so elders are to set that example for the flock. Of what it means to be a Christian citizen with a government that can be hostile towards you. What it means to be a godly worker, godly servant, godly master. What it means to be a loving husband and an effective father, a a bold witness. Elders to set an example of some of the things you are talking about. Being peaceful and gentle and loving and humble and prayerful. But I would say, Certainly, in the the context of this exhortation, one of the, the, the key ways that the elders would be an example for the flock is that the flock is watching to see how the elders handle suffering. How they handle the fiery trials. How they handle persecution. And so these original readers who are, who are being ostracized by their neighbors and cut off from their family and, 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 and shopkeepers won't do business with them anymore and, and, and many of them are destitute. They have no means to provide. And so they desperately needed to know what it looked like to share in the sufferings of Christ with living hope. How do we do that? Elders, don't dominate. Don't be in a domineering way over the church. Set an example for the flock in this, the churches will be far better served by a very, quote, ordinary elder who is, who is a godly example to the flock than some elder who is well known as a mover and shaker in the community but doesn't set an example of living near the cross. We, we need pastors who are examples to the flock. So the shepherd's calling... Shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight. The shepherd's heart, these contrasts of what it's not to look like, what it is to look like, what the right attitude and motivation is. And then the last thing we see to shepherds is the shepherd's reward. You see it in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Reward day is coming. And all the labor, all the sacrifices, all the hardships of pastoral life and ministry they they will be vindicated, rewarded Now I know you you look at you know me, look at us, and say it doesn't seem that difficult and and I, I'll give you that in, in a lot of ways. There are pressures, and there are enormous challenges that come with pastoral ministry in our context and but I don't think that The comparison is is needed, but I do think it's good to be mindful of what Peter's readers were going through. What these pastors, what uh, the difficulties they're facing. And there are pastors in our day who are facing physical persecution right now. When you you read about believers being persecuted, most often it's the pastors who are imprisoned and tortured. Uh, Not always, but I'm just saying that's generally who they go after. And so kind of carry that into as Peter's writing to this just he's saying listen the chief shepherd is going to appear and you will receive this unfading crown of glory I'm not saying that doesn't apply to us as well I'm just saying keep that context in mind again Jesus is the chief shepherd one flock one shepherd he's the one shepherd Peter's already said in this letter, he's the shepherd and guardian of our souls. But when one day, the chief shepherd, Christ, will will return in glory and will take his people to be with him forever. At Revelation seven seventeen talks about this, that the Lamb will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water. And so when he comes back, Christ, the, the chief shepherd, will fully reward his under-shepherds. Strock, and I've quoted him a few times, he's got a great book on biblical eldership. That's I found it helpful in preparing today. But he says, What could be more encouraging to faithful shepherds who face many heartaches, problems, trials, and persecutions than to look forward to Christ's return as the chief shepherd and to share in his divine glory? You know, all believers have this prospect of, of great reward to look to and 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 yet, yet, Peter says that pastors will receive this unfading crown of glory. Now, it may not be different from the reward that others experience i know there there's debate and the interpretive differences here, but Paul, for example, Paul anticipated this crown of righteousness and and uh, for his service, and he said that it would also be received by all who have loved his appearing. so it may not be that he's saying there's this totally other reward for pastors maybe he's saying Pastors, you're going to receive this reward with, with, with believers, but it, it may be that it is something unique to shepherds. I, I'm not certain exactly. The way. Either way, there is wonderful eternal reward that's awaiting shepherds who faithfully serve God's flock. And it's not like an earthly crown made of precious metal that tarnishes. It's not like one of those laurel wreaths in their day that would wither and, and just come to nothing. No, the, the, the reason this crown has this unfading quality to it is because of what it's made of. It's made of divine glory. And so it will not ever fade. What a, what a glorious prospect. Ordinary, lowly, unnoticed uh, elders, pastors we won't go down in the history books um, no biographies written about us but if we faithfully shepherd God's flock we have great reward to look forward to when Christ returns there may be much there may not be much to show for our labor in this life um, but someday Christ the chief shepherd will make sure we are fully rewarded that's a great a great hope so pastors Let me speak to you one more time and I just want to read again now Peter's words to us. He says, So I exhort you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Jesus Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So that's the first first command, first exhortation here. The second one deals with the church, and and, and we could say it this way, is the church, line up under your elders. Line up under your elders. I'll be quickly here, be quick. Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. And So we've seen submission throughout Peter's letter. This is a big idea. He's commanded Christians to subject themselves to God-given authority in several different spheres in the civil realm, to governmental authorities and a workplace servant master in the home and marriage and husband-wife relationship. Now now he deals with submission and authority in the local church. And he says to, to, to be subject to the elders, to, to, to line up under, like in rank, the same word that we've seen throughout this letter, submission or subject to. And so he says, be subject to the elders. Now, in the context, I think it's, it's clear that this is talking about church leaders, pastors, elders. I, it, the word just means older people uh, but I think given the likewise in verse uh, 5 here in the context of verses 1 to 4 it's connecting it together so I think he's talking about the shepherds of the flock of God and, and so he turns to from the elders to the congregation he says you you younger ones be likewise be subject to the elders he Kind of singles out the young ones. I don't think that means you know just just the twenty somethings. You're the only ones that need to worry about this, or something like that. No, there are other places in the New Testament that make it very clear that 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 the whole church, the congregation, is to be subject to the elders. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and be and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And and he even talks about how they're to to submit to them. Uh, and, but but Peter. But Peter does seem to feel compelled to kind of single out, single out the younger folk, and and why? I, I I think part of it is is that the more youthful ones in the church tend to be the ones who are who are like racehorses. They're just ready to charge. They're ready to go. They're ready to get after it, and that's a great thing. That's a gift from God to, to a church, to have young people who are, who are just ready to, ready to bust out the gate. They want change. They want to, they want to move. And so, if eldership is seen as kind of slow and sort of stagnant, then, then you can see that, the, the younger ones are the ones who are going to have the most difficulty, and there's, there's potential for conflict. And so, I think he kind of has that in mind, and, 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 and so he speaks to the young ones, particularly during times of persecution. It was just the context. Younger ones—they might be a little more reckless, unnecessarily endanger the church. And so he's saying to the younger people, "You need to submit to those in spiritual leadership." Young young people with a heart for God, a desire to serve the Lord—they they can can gain invaluable wisdom by by coming alongside older saints, older men, older women, um, and godly pastors, and 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 learning from them and submitting to them. And so. Uh, so this is this is the encouragement, uh, flock, be subject to the elders. I, I, again, I know submission it makes us a little squirmy. You talk about in the church, we think, man, one of my pastors, one of my pastors is a jerk or something like that. And I hope that's not the case here. But you know, we have these clear commands. Don't take this out of the context of verses one to four. Pastors aren't to be domineering. They're, every pa- pastor will be accountable to the Lord. And there's other passages to talk about dealing with pastors when they sin. And and so submission. And also, submission doesn't mean just kind of uh, mute acceptance of decisions or just passivity or something like that. No, there is a place for expressing disagreement, expressing concerns. This is not autocratic leadership. But submission is first reflected in an attitude of respect and for pastors and a recognition of Christ's authority and the fact that he's delegated that to to leaders in the church. That's what it really boils down to. I know we in democratic America, I, I think sometimes we can, we can really buck against this idea and we can, we can un, move away from a biblical idea of, of respect and submission, uh, proper submission to authority in the church. All right, lastly, and we'll close with this, this is for all of us. And the, the command to everyone here is to put on the servant's apron of humility. Put on the servant's apron of humility. Verse 5, the end of verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, pastors, congregation, young, old, men, women, deacons, everybody, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That, that this little word, this command, clothe yourselves. It's a very vivid word, and it was used of. Uh, it comes from the, the 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 word that was used for the like a servant's apron that they, they would put on to do their work. And so the imagery is right out of Peter's, no doubt, recalling Christ taking the towel and girding himself with it and washing the disciples' feet. And so he says, "You you clothe yourself with humility. This is this is the clothes you all need to wear in the church, and uh, understanding that. And and then he gives the reason for it. There's the the little four. This is the motivation. This is why. And he backs it up with the Old Testament. Proverbs 3.34. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The picture is like a God in full armor coming out against his enemies and they're trying to pass and God's just blocking the way. And and he's setting himself in opposition against the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Um, And how we, we, we... There's nothing more essential... Uh, that we need to receive from the Lord in grace, and He, he freely gives it to those who are low and humble, um, and so we we need it in all areas of life. All right, because there are, there are many times in 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 Scripture when shepherds are spoken of, and most of the time, particularly when you look in the Old Testament, it's it's in a dark light. Um. There are worthless shepherds who feed themselves rather than feeding the flock, Ezekiel 34. Rather than gathering, gathering the flock, some shepherds scatter it, Jeremiah 23. Jesus talked about, as he saw the religious leaders and, and when he came and was on earth, it, God's people are like sheep without a shepherd. They, they neglected to do their work. But God promised a day when he would send a good shepherd who would gather his people. And he was, of course, prophesying of Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus is the picture of the perfect shepherd of souls. He he knows and leads his flock. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. He provides food and drink for his flock. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He protects... His flock. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He cares for His flock. We can cast all our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. It's our hope for this church does not lie with eight pastors. He lies with one pastor in Christ. Chief Shepherd. We, where, where, where the under shepherds fail and we will and we do and, and, and we will disappoint and we will move slower than you want and we'll, we'll do things that are wrong and we'll say things that are dumb. Jesus will never fail. He will succeed. Our job as shepherds is not to draw you near to us. Our job as shepherds is to take you to Christ. Cause we need Him just as much as you need Him. And so let's go to Jesus together. Jesus will never abandon the flock that He purchased with his own blood, Acts 20:28. 20, he will build his flock, his church. He has other sheep that are not of this fold, and he must bring them also, and they will listen to His voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. We have these assurances. Let's pray. Oh Father, I pray that as a church, and certainly as leaders in the church that we would be constantly going to and taking others with us to Jesus, our chief shepherd. And so we thank you for your care for us. We thank you for the way you feed us, protect us, draw us back, pursue us. We thank you that you, you, you even when you correct us, it's not because you hate us, it's because you love us and so we, and for those of those that are walking through the dark valley right now in the valley of the shadow of death even i pray that the wonderful truth that you are a shepherd to our souls would be of great comfort and so so work uh, work these truths uh, bring Bring the applications of this to, to, to bear on our church context and the way pastors here shepherd the flock and the way the flock submits to the, the elders and the leaders and the way that we all clothe ourselves in humility. But may we all go to Jesus Christ. That's what humility is. It's saying we have no sufficiency in ourselves, but our adequacy is from you. And so we, we come to you needy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.